Philippians chapter 2 this morning, and verse number 5, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin picking up where we were last time and then moving forward. We've seen here in Philippians how that our joy can be found through the mind of Christ, and the mind of Christ is explained in, verse, in chapter 2. And it says in verse number 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But now the tide turns, and after that great descent, Christ begins his ascent back up to glory. Verse 9, wherefore, because of his sacrificial death for the sins of all mankind, wherefore... God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should, con should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we must state here that the Bible tells us that God the Father is the one who put God the Son to death. You can see in verse 9, Wherefore, God also, God also. Why? Because of what happened there in verses 7 and 8. God was involved there, and now God also highly exalts him. It, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Jesus Christ was offering himself in our place. He was subjecting himself to the wrath of his Father. It, it is one thing to offer to pay for the sins of mankind because you want to help them. You want to assist the sinners who are hopeless. It's another thing altogether to take the punishment that your father would mete out on someone else on your own head. And that is what Jesus Christ has done. Anytime we learn about what Christ has done, it, it expands our understanding of who God is and what God has done. Jesus himself was humbled and he became obedient unto death. He made the payment for sin and because of that, God has highly exalted him. And that's what I want you to see, first of all, Christ exalted by God. What to man was degrading and insulting turned out to be the most exalting and uplifting experience that a human could ever have. And it wouldn't do any good for him to be exalted by a man or by a group of men or even by the entire race of men. It would not do any good. And by the way, it doesn't do us any good to be exalted by man or by a group of men. Why? Because both the person who is exalted and those who are exalting will die. 
And when they die, that glory, that exaltation dies with them. How many of you have been to Washington, D.C. and never knew that there was a statue to a certain person or to a certain woman? And you find out later, wow, I never knew that there was a statue there to that person. Why? You didn't care about that person. You can walk by that statue every day and never understand the, the purpose of that man or woman's life. We have statues in Toledo that I would wager you and I know nothing about. And we, we raise these statues and we exalt the person for the purpose of remembering a worthy deed. And indeed, it was a worthy deed. The problem is, it is man exalting man. And it goes to dust. Statues fall apart. Even Mount Rushmore has to face the elements, begins to crumble. It's man exalting man. The Bible tells us here in verse number 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. You could be proclaimed a king like Nebuchadnezzar, like Caesar, like Saul, like Elvis. You could be proclaimed a king. You, you could be lifted up and praised. You know, you name it. Men could exalt you and praise you. But here, Jesus Christ was exalted and lifted up by God the Father, who is eternal And as a result, this praise, this honor, is everlasting. It cannot be degraded. It cannot lose its glory. He's exalted by God. And then it says in verse number 9, And and has given him a name which is above every name. Not only is he exalted by God, he's named by God. Given this name by his father. This name is superior because God decreed that it was. This name that we're talking about is the reason why we are here this morning. This name of Jesus Christ. Now, we understand what's in a name. They say a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. But there are reasons that we give names. We give names and not just any name. Because it fits. The name of Jesus is a very specific name. Take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse 21. Matthew chapter 1, there in the beginning of the Gospels, look at verse 21. The angel told Mary, And she shall bring forth a son told Joseph, rather, about Mary, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Do you see that in all caps? Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. That name Jesus means Jehovah saves. It's the same word. It's the Greek rendition of the Hebrew Joshua. Joshua and Jesus, they mean the same. What is it? Jehovah saves. The name of Jesus is a saving name. That's the name that he took upon himself when he came to this earth in a body of uh, of flesh. In that body, he died for our sins. And it, it, it is in the body with that name that he arose as a savior. He shall save 
his people from their sins. The Bible tells us there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is a saving name. If you're going to be saved from hell, you are going to come through the name of Jesus Christ. As as highly exalted and as magnified as other religious leaders are, there's no one who said, come unto me and I will give you rest. There's no one said, come and drink. The water that I shall give you will be in you a well of water. Jesus' name alone can save you. And if you don't go to Jesus, you can't be saved. Look at Luke chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 10, rather, verse 17. When Jesus sent out the 70 disciples to proclaim him the Messiah, they came back to him in verse 17, and the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. The name of Jesus is a powerful name. Jesus It is not just any other name. It is the name of Jesus. We understand it's not a magical incantation. It is the designation of a man, of a being. You you can't name your dog Jesus and expect it to have magical powers. I don't know why anyone, I've never understood it in Latin America, why they name their children uh, Jesus. I've never understood it. But, But even if you were to name your child Jesus, It doesn't give him magical power. You see, it is Jesus Christ himself who has that name. That name alone has power. You can't just write Jesus on some type of a a piece of jewelry and wear it as a good luck charm. You see, it is not just the physical attribution It's not just the writing of that name, although there is a connection. We understand God gave us the word, but but it is the person of Jesus Christ that has the power. Which person? Jesus. Jesus has the power. Not just the word itself. Some people think, if I say it over and over and over again, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. No, you're trying to use it to get power for yourself. When you really need help, you'll call out to the man, the son of man, the son of God, Jesus himself. When you say Jesus, you're calling upon the very power of the son of God. It's the powerful name. But I want you to see back at, uh, over in Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. And again, verse 17. The Lord is prophesying here. About the future. And he says in verse 17, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. The name of Jesus is a hated name. It's a hated name. How do I know that? No one ever says, Barack Obama, this hot outside. (laughs) Why? The Bible says men swear by the greater. You ever notice, you hear people say, his name all the time. They're not doing it because they love him. They're doing it because they know that it is a unique name and that it is a powerful name, but they are expressing their hatred for him in that name. 
You would never use your mother's name to say some of the things that you say. But you'd use Jesus' name. Why? It's a reflection of your heart. You hate that name. Your flesh hates that name. Why? Because it represents the very pure, holy Son of God. It's a hated name. Why would anyone hate Jesus, by the way? The one who loved you enough to die for you. No one else did. But Jesus did. It's, the great, it's, it's one of the great questions that I have about humans. How can you hate the person who loved you the most? And yet we do. I want you to go to Acts chapter 4. Look at Acts chapter 4. Continue moving forward in, in the scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse number 10. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel. Here's a message given to the nation of Israel. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Not only is it a saving name and a powerful name and a hated name, it is an exclusive name. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Not any other name or person or historical figure or denomination or religion or cult leader. There's only one saving name, and that's the name of Jesus. You know the reason why we worship Jesus Christ is because he is exclusive. There is no one else like him. We talk about how we love Jesus because he helps us, and he does. And how Jesus is so kind, and he's nice, and he does. But you could say the same things about people around you. They're nice. They help you. They try to comfort you. But no one has ever done for you what the name of Jesus Christ has done. No one else can rescue you from a hell-bound path. Only Jesus Christ has offered to save you from your sins. As close as my friends are, I have some wonderful friends, my wife being number one friend. I could not ask her to forgive the sins of my youth. She loves me and she is kind to me. And she has forgiven sins that I've done against her. But she can never forgive sins that I've committed against God. And by the way, some sins are against other people, but all sins are committed against God himself. He is the one that created the law. He's the one that invented right and wrong. So no matter who you sin against, you and I always, when we sin, are sinning against God. And there is no man that can forgive my sin against God. Only Jesus Christ. He offered to save me from my sins. And he offers to save you from your sins. The name of Jesus is an exclusive name. But the Bible tells us that it is an exalted name. Because in Philippians chapter 2, where we were, 
He said, at the name of Jesus, he said, he hath given him a name which is above every name. It's exalted. It's lifted up higher. Who lifted that name up higher? The Father. And why did he do that? Because the Son humbled himself and went to the cross to show the love of God to the world. And when he did, the Lord said, the Father said, I'm going to raise your name above. Now, there are people throughout history who have looked to exalt their own name. We read in Genesis chapter 11, when mankind was united, there were no divisions. There was was no disconnection over race, creed. They were all together. They had one language, and they even spoke the same. They had the same accent. And when mankind got together, it was interesting because sometimes we think, man, if we could just all get on the same page and stop fighting, if we could get Republican, Democrat to come together and meet in the aisle and work together, we would finally see peace on earth. You know what we would see? We'd see what happened in Genesis chapter 11. What they said was this. The whole earth was of one language and one speech, and they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down, and he saw it, and he decided to wreck it. And he scattered the people all over the world. Why? Because when they got together, they said, Let us make us a name. We can make a name for ourselves. We don't need help from God. Their desire was not to bring glory and honor to the Lord, but to make themselves a name. That's what mankind always does. That's why when you say a word, a name like Buddha, you don't think of God, you think of the man. When you say Confucius, you think of a man who gives us wise principles. A man who claims to have certain specific knowledge that is higher than most people. But it's no higher than a man can grasp. When you think of a guy like Joseph Smith, you don't think about how I can better bring glory to God. No, in fact, he taught people that you can one day become a God. Whenever man comes together and brings people under his own word and and ideas, he always exalts himself. What's amazing about our Savior is this. He did not exalt himself. If there were ever a person who had the right to be exalted and to exalt himself, to lift himself up, wouldn't it be the one who, according to Colossians, created all things by the word of his power? Wouldn't it be the Son of God who was eternal before any man ever existed and who will exist forever with the help of no person? Wouldn't it be that one? Wouldn't it be the one who could walk on the water, who could raise the dead? You would think that at least that man would be allowed to exalt himself. Jesus did not. Jesus humbled himself. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. You see, God has given him a name that is above the name of Buddha and of Confucius and of Joe Smith, and you name it. It's above all those things. Where did he get that name? He got it from his father, His father gave it to him because he humbled himself. (laughs) This book is different than any other book in the world. 
Jesus was given as the perfect eternal son of God. He was given a name. He was exalted. He did not lift himself up. And believer, this mind that Christ had and has is the same mind that God desires for us to have. He was exalted by God. He was named by God. Then back in chapter 2 of Philippians, if you would, verse number 10, he is worshipped with God. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 10, the Bible tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a marvelous thing that Jesus Christ has given this name, which is above every name, and every knee is going to bow to him in heaven, in earth, under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And where does the glory go? It goes to the Father. Men did bow once in mockery. The Bible tells us that when Christ was being scourged, when he was preparing to be crucified, it says that they bowed a knee before him and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. It's possible to bow a knee in mockery. And boy, do, do we not have sarcasm and cynicism coming out our ears in our culture? I do find it interesting, as I was thinking about it, there's plenty of people who do this to athletes or Hollywood stars, but I haven't seen anybody bow down to them yet. It's another level altogether. But the Bible does tell us in the book of Revelation that there's coming a day where a great white throne will be seen, and, 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 and before who, whose face that sits on the throne, heaven and earth will flee away, and the dead, small and great, will stand before God, and the books will be opened. And they'll be judged. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. What that means is this. When you stand before God and give account of yourself to God, you will have to confess with your mouth. You will have to speak with your tongue, Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, it's not just the confession of your mouth. It's not even the position of your knee that God is looking for. Because he will get that one way or the other. If he doesn't get it now as a saved person, he will get it later as a lost person. You know what God's looking for? He's looking for your heart. He's looking for your heart. I want you to go back, if you would, to Psalm 29. We looked at this earlier today in the book of Psalms in chapter 34. And we'll see that in a moment. But Psalm 29, several passages here, tell us about this wonderful name. The Bible says in Psalm 29, the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. See, worship revolves around the name of Jesus. Look at chapter 33. We've been talking about the book of Philippians and how the theme of Philippians is rejoicing through the mind of Christ. 
Here is chapter 33, look at verse 21, Psalm 33, 21. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. You know where joy comes from? It comes from the name of Jesus Christ. Trusting in the fact that his name is the name that saves. His name is the name that is exclusive. His name is the name that has been exalted. When you trust in that name, you can rejoice for eternity. How many times have you trusted in a brand name and then found out that they have diluted or watered down their standards? They used to make a high-quality product, and you bought it because of the name. And then when you got it home, you realized, man, they're making something. This is cheap. This is not like they used to make it. You know, when companies buy other companies, they often, even though company A purchases company B, they will leave company B's name because people trust in that name. They've had experience with that name. It's the reason, it's because of time, it's because of people who have bought into that and have had a good experience and have said, that's a trustworthy company. But how many times have we found that that name can erode over time? You think about it. There was a, uh, there was a, a man, I'm trying to think, I think it was called H. Salt. Does anyone remember the fish restaurant? Was it called H. Salt, I think? There's a man who came over from the UK and he decided to open up a chain of fish and chips restaurants because he knew that was about the only thing that the UK could offer that Americans would eat. And, and so he came over, forgive me if you're from the UK, but uh, that's about the only thing we know about. So he came over to California and he opened up a, he opened up a, a, a restaurant and it was very popular. And he was able to open up another, and he franchised another. And I believe he got up to 10 to 20 restaurants, always very insistent on, on maintaining the high quality of, uh, of fish and only the very best potatoes. And people flocked to it. They loved it. They'd serve it in newspapers. Uh, you'd get your fish and, and your chips, and you'd, you'd eat it right in the newspaper. And people loved it. And it it grew and grew and grew. This was back in, uh, I believe, the late 60s, early 70s, through the mid-70s. You know, you can still find one of those restaurants in California. But you've never heard of it. I never heard of it. You know the reason why? Because the name lost its value. And the reason it lost its value is when when he sold it out to, uh, to another company to take over, they decided that they were going to buy a cheaper brand or a cheaper um, strain of product. They were going to get the cheap fish. And, the, and they still had the great name out in the front. They still served it in newspapers. And people still lined up for a while. But when they realized it didn't taste the same, they started to, for, say, forget it. That's just not any good. And it's sad because you can go back and watch the commercial from that man. And he had brought this great uh, recipe for deep fried fish over from Great Britain. And it had belonged to his father and I believe his father before him. But all of that history and legacy was lost. And now it's a laughing stock of a restaurant in California. 
It just holds a very tiny glimmer of a memory in the lives of those who remember what it used to be. Why? The name was only as good as the person standing behind it. What we have here is a name in which you can trust. You can see in in verse number 21, our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. He has a name that is trustworthy. His name is based on what he did. The reason why his name is above every other name is because he accomplished something that no one else has ever accomplished. He came to this earth, became a man, and died as if he were a sinner. In fact, the Bible says that he was made sin for us. And even though that was true, when he died, the Bible says God highly exalted him and lifted him up. Christian, I, can, I want to encourage you to trust in Jesus. Not to trust in your nostalgia of your religion. Not to trust in your relationships with other people. Those are blessings and we thank God for them. But none of them have the power that Jesus has. No other person that I've ever run into has ever done for me what Jesus has done. No, no other book that I've ever read can bring to me the assurance of salvation that this book can. There's no other person that makes the claims of our Savior. And he has a name that is worthy of your trust and mine. With your trial and your sorrow that you are laboring under, let me encourage you to run to the name of Jesus Christ. Because if he can die and come back from the dead after such a horrible death, he's worthy of your trust. And you'll find as you trust in him, you will have joy in your heart. Look at chapter 34, if you would. Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What Jesus did, again, is superior to what anyone else has ever done. Out there in eternity, where God dwells with the saints assembled of all the ages and the beauty and purity and the rare air of heaven will find that all that stupidity and foolishness of magnifying man, trying to determine who's better, me or my sister, me or my father, me or my brother, me or my neighbor, me or my fellow worker at, at my job, all of that is gone. No more competition. Everyone will finally think clearly and soberly and righteously. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no competition. There's no vain glory as we saw in Philippians chapter 2. No division, no self-exaltation. There's no pride that's necessary. Why? Everyone will finally realize what they should have known all along. The only name worth bragging on is the name of Jesus Christ. Look at Psalm 86. Psalm 86 verse 9. Psalm 86, 9, all nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. All nations. For thou art great, 
and doest wondrous things. Thou art great, art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me. And thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. What did Jesus accomplish by humbling himself and dying on the cross? He delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Why would I magnify any other name? Jesus Christ alone is the one who accomplished for me what no one else could. Let all the honor, all the glory, all the praise go to the mighty name of Jesus Christ. What a way of salvation that he's made possible here. What, what, what love we see here. What, what redemption in restoring a lost man. Now, everything that you're thinking about and everything you've thought about this week is somehow connected to either keeping your life good or taking a life that is in shattered ruins and making it better somehow. Everything that we think about, it can somehow be traced back to somehow making my mind more at ease, giving me a little bit more peace in my heart, making my life a little bit better. I'd like my kids to obey. I'd like my house to not fall apart. I'd like my car to not have to always have the brakes replaced every two days. I'd like to be able to to break the paycheck to paycheck cycle. I'd like to be able to just sit and think for a while. I'd like to just enjoy my my family. I, I wish I didn't have these health problems. And all those things are legitimate concerns. But may I remind you, we're not here to, to, to worship and praise ourselves. We're not here to, to make our lives better, although we can and we should. We're really here to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have a guarantee in Him that no matter how rough my life is and how shattered my dreams are, He has conquered death and hell, and one day he will make me clean and sinless and spotless, and I will live eternally with him. I don't have to wonder what's going to happen with my shattered dreams. He can fix it all. He's the great potter. He can make it again, another vessel. And when you get to heaven and I get to heaven, we'll look at who we are in Christ and we'll say, wow, I didn't know you could do that. He said, I promised you that I would begin it way back then and I would continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you this morning. We have a merciful God who loves you. And he is, he is caring for you, even in your trial, even in your difficulty. And he has not only determined that he will protect you and help you here, he has fixed it all in eternity. And the closer we get to that, the greater That seems to me. I want to show you in closing this morning a great Bible paradox. Here it is. Very simple. You've heard this for years. The way up is down. The way up is down. The world says, exalt yourself, promote yourself, get ahead of the others, brag about how much more you're doing than they are, and brag about how much more spiritual you are, whatever. But you know what God says? Humble yourself. 
He says, true greatness is found in serving other people, not in serving yourself. In giving more to others, doing more for others. Christ humbled himself and his father exalted him. Christ made himself of no reputation and God gave him a name which is above every name. Christ took upon him the form of a servant and one day everyone will be bowing to him like a servant. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. There's nothing in your life today that could not be improved upon by humbling yourself to God. We want to lift up, but in order to be lifted up, we have to humble ourselves. The way up is down. That's what Philippians is all about. The apostle Paul is saying, I am rejoicing, I'm happy, even though I'm in prison and I'm concerned about you. My joy comes because I have the mind of Christ which says, it doesn't matter how far down I have to go, God can lift me up. How can a man be happy when he's a servant? That's what America thinks. God says you can't be happy any other way. You can't be happy unless you're humble. Christian, are you humble today? So I'm getting tired of getting pushed down in the mud. Well, I don't like it either. I'm not (laughs) suggesting that you should enjoy it. But I am telling you, there is no happiness in exalting yourself. There's only a little bit. For a temporary time, but it's fleeting. It's like the carrot on the end of the stick. It keeps out of your range, and you think if it swings back one more time this way, I'll time it, and I'll get that carrot. But it always just swings away. You know how you get happy? You know how you find joy? You find it through the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ said, I'll go down, 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 down. Let me promise you something, believer. You will not go further down than Jesus Christ did. And even Jesus Christ himself, as he descended, there came to a point, he descended into the lower parts of the earth, and that was the end. Let me remind you, there is an end to your descent. You will not continue to slide down into eternity. Christ has already gone lower than you ever will. And I can promise you this, he has gone further and suffered more. And if you are in Christ, you will not ever... go, Go beyond his love and his care for you. He loves you and he has mercy in store for you. What you'll find, there's coming a day when that slide down will stop and then begins the great ascension. Christ was raised up not just as the king of Jerusalem, not just as the king of Palestine or of the greater Middle East or of, of Europe, Or of the northern hemisphere. No, no. He continued until he was king of kings and lord of lords. That's the one that we serve. And when he comes down, he's wearing that as a logo on his clothes. Why? Not because it's something that he aspires to. Not because he wants to be associated with a cool brand. He is the brand. He is the one who has accomplished all things for you. And when he comes back, he will rightfully and justly wear king of kings and lord of lords. 
There is no demon, there's no devil, there's no evil ruler of mankind that can stand against the great King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's your Savior. That's the one who is inside of you today. He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. (laughs) I did it. And he said, if I live, ye shall live also. That's the Savior that we serve. You say, I can't, I I feel like I'm slipping. I feel like I'm getting lost in this darkness. God exalts people. God lifts up people, but only those who humble themselves. One of the best things you could do is stop fighting the slide. Say, God, if you have me here, I'm here. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to push against you. I'm going to let you be God. I'm going to humble myself because I know this. Jesus Christ humbled himself and you exalted him. And I trust in your holy name to do the same to me. People go through life trying to find these uplifting experiences, but they stay depressed. If you want an uplifting experience, let me encourage you. Just go find somebody else that needs help. Go help someone else for a while and watch God lift you up. I want you to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 in closing. 1 Peter chapter 5. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility as Jesus was. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Do you want grace from God today? Humble yourself. You want to know why God's resisting you? You can't get any answers to prayer. You can't enjoy time with God. He tells you right there, it's because of your pride. And so he says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, which Jesus did all the way to death, that he may exalt you in due time. And his father certainly did. You see, the contrast is Lucifer who said, I will ascend, I will exalt my throne, I will be like the Most High. In pride, Satan sought to exalt himself, and God had to cast him down, and one day will cast him down to the lowest hell. I wouldn't follow him if I were you. I wouldn't follow that moniker, that that attitude, that mantra that says, I will be better, I will get higher, I'm going to ascend. I wouldn't follow Satan in that. I would follow the mind of Jesus Christ who humbled himself, who became obedient unto death, who allowed the Father to accomplish what he desired and what needed to happen for the salvation of souls. He allowed God to do that. And in doing so, God the Father exalted him to the highest place in the universe. He's seated now today in honor and glory and majesty at the right hand of the Father. That's the one I want to follow. When will he exalt me? I don't know. When will all of this change? When will I no longer be sliding down? I do not know. And you don't know. But God knows. There will come a time when he will stop that slide. And he will begin to lift you up. And you'll know in that moment, this was not me. This was God. And you'll feel that resurrection power in your soul 
and you'll understand how wonderful and majestic our Savior is. I want to encourage you this morning, believer. Allow God to humble you. And if you'd rather get a head start, humble yourself. And as you humble yourself to that mighty God, I can promise you, he will not leave you alone. He will not leave you in the darkness forever. He will raise you up and exalt you in due time. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning?